Welcome to another episode of the Outlaw's Gate Podcast. Uh, uh, this episode was recorded just a couple of days after Gen Con, so uh, I think the next few episodes will be us just going over different things from Gen Con, and uh, like in the previous episode, reviewing them, uh, pros and cons. Uh, so... Jake, uh, what role-playing game are uh, you going to be telling me about? Oh, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. Um, it's the new Warhammer 40k role-playing game from Ulysses North America um, called Wrath and Glory. And I haven't gotten to run it yet, obviously. Um, I just got the book the other day. I've been reading through it, eating as much of it as I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh... What's, I guess, kind of an overall impression? Um, really streamlined. Yeah. Um, uh, the gameplay is really simple. Um, it'll be... it's it's. If you have an experienced role player who can run it as a GM, it's a really good game for new players. Hmm. The reason I say that is because the character creation is incredibly complex. Ooh. It's a it's a like sit down and let's talk about this for a couple hours kind of character creation per person. The biggest part of it, I thought it was going to be a lot worse. I, I rolled up a couple example characters the other day, well, one example character, and then kind of got set the guidelines for future ones. But the hardest part about it is remembering all of the limitations. So like you, you, the game split up into five tiers of play, and then depending on what tier you're at, you have like this is the maximum uh, your attributes can be. This is the maximum your skills can be. This is how many talents your character's allowed to have. Um, and you obviously you can't exceed those numbers while you're still within that tier of play. Seems like something that uh, new players would definitely need a cheat sheet yeah. to keep track of. And they fortunately have a couple in the book that you can copy down pretty oh, okay. easily. Like they've, they've got like two pages of limitations gathered in one area. But it's just trying to remember all of that while you're spending, you know, if you if you run it at tier three, which is sort of the standard way to play the game, you're looking at 300 points to build your character. And while you're spending those 300 points, you have to keep track of this is the maximum any one attribute can be. This is the most points I can spend on my attributes. Uh, they have what they call the tree of knowledge, which is to have a skill at a certain number you have to have at least that many skills. Mm. So if you want to have your weapon skill as a five, you have to have at least five skills. Huh. Let's, I guess that's uh, kind of good, uh, mechanically at least. It prevents you from min-maxing too much. Uh, you can, I would guess you can probably still have a fairly specialized character, but oh yeah, you can't over-specialize. <laughs> On the one hand, it prevents you from sinking all of your points into one or two skills and just becoming useless at everything else, but it also encourages you to expand and um, pursue a variety of skills to, to varying degrees. So that, you know, one person's not shouldering all of the responsibility for one of the less uh, glamorous skills, I guess you could say. Um, 
but like if you if you use the example how to make a character you know spend these points on your attributes and put your attributes at these levels and this is how many points you've spent and then put your skills at these levels and this is how many points you've spent it gives you like 10 skills that have points in them um mechanically uh what do you think of it uh, similar to anything in particular or anything you know distinctive mechanically honestly it's like the tabletop minis game had a baby with uh old world of darkness huh. <laughs> you 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 combine your skills and your um attributes and then other situational bonuses and that gives you a dice pool okay. and you throw the d6s because it uses d6s because of course it does and then four ups count as icons which are successes oh, okay and then sixes are exalted icons, which are two successes. And then you can shift your sixes into other things depending on what you're doing. Like if you're making an attack, you can shift your sixes into extra dice to use on your damage roll. Oh, that's cool. Uh, kind of similar to, I guess not so much an exploding dice, but Star Wars RPG where you were dice result on one roll can buff what you're doing on another roll. Yeah, or even it can even be, like in Star Wars, it can even be banked to help the party. Oh. So, if the GM deems deems that it's appropriate, you can basically hit somebody hard enough that it helps your teammate hit that person. Oh, cool. That's nice. So you don't have to have a party full of necessarily really combat heavy characters. They can be a, some of them can be a little less uh, specialized in that, and still, as long as your big beefy guys hand, handing out enough uh, boosts to everybody else, they can all perform at about the same level, I suppose. And that's one of the things I did like is the. Um Obviously, one of the cool things that I like about this is you can play Space Marines. And you can play Space Marines alongside humans. Uh, they've got rules for playing Eldar or Orcs. That's what I like, is that you can play things other than Space Marines. <laughs> but the, um, it's set up, because of the way they build the tiers, mm-hmm. it's set up to where you can... You, you, you feel balanced. Mm-hmm. So like just, just going from the character creation standpoint, um, if I'm building a Tier 3 campaign... And uh, I'm building a space marine, and you're building a guardsman. Well, I spend most of my character creation points just being a space marine. Right. So I have to spend uh, 50 of my 300 to have the Astartes species. Mm-hmm. I have to spend, if I'm playing a tactical marine, I have to spend 50 of my points to be a tactical marine. And so that's already a third of my points. I have to have my strength, toughness, and agility at a certain level. And so those that burns up points. And then I have to have my weapon skill and ballistic skill at a certain level. And so just by choosing to be a tactical space marine, I've already spent it's something like 150, 160 points. Wow. Just, just being a space marine. And that's not even all of my attributes or all of my skills. Those are just the things that I the standards I have to meet yeah. to play the character. Whereas the Guardsman, because he's a Tier 1 character and he has to ascend to Tier 3, he gets boosts to his influence, he gets boosts to... Uh, he gets special equipment that he can just pick up. 
Um, so, you know, like you might start with a last gun as a rank one guardsman, but you can decide to give this guy a, a melta gun and like a bionic arm. And the only thing that you have to do when you ascend your character is it, regardless of how many tiers you ascend to the character, it increases your prerequisites by one. So if I'm, you know, again, using the example of the guardsman, I have to increase my, I think it's his toughness and his, um, his ballistic skill. And so instead of being threes, those have to be fours. And so it's a lot, you have a lot more freedom. You can really build up these less powerful characters so, so that... So they keep up with the space marine. Yeah. And so because you have so many points, you can give them a whole lot of skills. You can give them a fairly respectable, like, across-the-board set of stats. You can buy them special equipment. Because like, you can spend build points with GM permission to have additional equipment on top of what you already get from your class. Uh, cool. And so you have a lot more customizability and you can come up with a bunch of stuff to build these apparently less powerful characters and then have them operate at the same level as you know the Space Marine. Oh, that's really good. I like that you have all those options just in the one core book, too. Yeah. So speaking of the core book, do you know, uh, I don't know if you've gotten to look that thoroughly through yet, does it have the uh, you know, little bestiary of uh, stuff to fight? Uh... It's got a handful of stuff. It makes sure that basically anything that you can create, you can fight. Um, it doesn't have any Tau in the bestiary. And it's only got like gene stealers and then the, uh, the gene stealer cultists that are hybrids. Okay. So, like, second-generation gene-stealer cultists kind of thing, where they, they look half-gene-stealer. <laughs> um, but it also gives you tips and hints on how you can modify existing stuff to represent other things. Oh, so, like, you could take the Chaos Cultist and, like, change one ability that the Chaos Cultist has and then change a couple of its keywords, and bam, gene-stealer cultist. Oh, nice. They do have, they have announced on their website that one of the first expansions is going to add rules for abhumans. So you'll be able to play as the Ogren and the Ratlings. Oh, cool. Um, so that, that, that is kind of fun, because it's, it's, it's kind of fun, the idea of the, the Ogren being these really bulky, huge, but really dumb sort of humans. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, 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 they're devolved humans. And then ratlings come from a really high gravity world, so they're super, super short. And they just, there's generally a stereotype that they're kind of cowardly, but they're awesome snipers. Right. And so it's how they brought ogres and halflings into the 41st millennium. Yeah. Well, uh, overall, sounds like it is well worth the uh, $50, $60, something like that, that the, the one book costs. There is one sneaky thing they did. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. Exactly. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't share this. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, the book makes several references to what they call to, to decks that are supposed to be like an auxiliary component to the game. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the critical hit deck, the complication deck, the gear deck, and the campaign deck. Okay. The first three aren't a big deal because they're in the book. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a chart that you can use for complications. You can roll in the chart and it tells you what to do. And complications come from things like critical failures and right. stuff like that. 
The um, so <laughs> complications are things that you and actually you can get complications on successes and I'll come back to that. Oh, fun. But the um, complications there's a complication chart. Right. But the deck gives you more options, more variety. Mm. Okay. Same with critical hits. And then the gear deck is basically just a player resource to make using gear a little bit easier. So like you have the card, like, you know, this is what a bolt gun does. And so you have a card that says what a bolt gun does. That's handy to uh, not necessarily have to scribble, you know, copy down a, uh, a entire stat block for a piece of equipment if you can just have it on a reference card. Yeah. It's useful. Especially if you have a lot of gear, which yeah. it's, it's really easy to do if you're sending characters. Right. Um, or if you're using alternative methods of equipping your characters that the book does provide rules for. Then you get to the campaign deck. And what the campaign deck is, is it's a deck of cards, and you give one to each player at the start of every session. And that card can be played at any time during that session. But if they don't play it, they lose it. And these cards have special effects that some of them are all positive, some of them have good things and bad things. There's just a bit of a mix to them. But they're effects that the player can impose on the game. Okay, that's, that's on the surface at least. That sounds interesting. There is no chart for it in the book. Mm. You have to buy that deck. Now I don't know how essential it is to the gameplay. Like it seems like you can get by fine without it, but it also feels like you know they put that in the game for a reason to help the players have a bit more a bit more control over the yeah. over the world they're, they're able to exercise kind of their own will in the world like one of the cards that i really liked because they have a couple example cards on the website is called a uh, heresy begets retribution <laughs> and you play it in response to taking damage okay and the attacker takes the exact same damage including any complications and critical effects oh cool so if you just if you have somebody walk up and just like crit shoot you in the head and your character's just about dead you can be like well fine i shoot you back <laughs> yeah I, I wonder if maybe uh they left that out of the book so that the gm can leave that out of their game and if you know, so that it's sort of an optional thing that you can choose to include if you want to but it's not sort of the default setting yeah of the game because some GMs want to have more control over the bigger things that can happen. Uh, but, like, it feels like it's something that's going to be really helpful, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's essential, especially because of the titular resources that are in the game, Wrath and Glory. Okay, what do those do? Uh, wrath is a personal resource every player has. They get two points of Wrath every turn. Or not every turn, every session. And if you don't spend them, then, you know, you lose them. So you're encouraged to get as many of them out as you can. You know, use those things, use them while you got them, and then you'll get a fresh two at the next session. Um, and then these can be used to do a lot of things. Uh, the big ones being, let me go actually go to the section so that I don't lie to people, because I don't like lying to people. <laughs> the point of them is to help the players get a kind of an edge in the campaign. An edge over whatever's going on at the time. So, I'm almost to the page. Had to find it in the index first, because I'm still not familiar enough with this book, book to yeah, know where everything is. You've only had it two days. <laughs> uh, you can re-roll failed checks. You can restore shock, which is kind of... Um, I haven't read the combat section yet, 
but it's one of the two stats that can be damaged in combat. So you have your wounds characteristic, which is your actual physical health, and then shock refers to like your mental health. Okay. Um, and so like like there's some attacks that deal damage to both. Right. Like there's, there's like a weapon quality that deals damage to both, and it's got things like electric whips. They hurt your brain and your oh, right, right. and your body. Um, and so you can restore shock to uh, using a wrath point. You can spend one to gain a bonus on a defiance check, but I haven't read what a defiance check is yet. So, <laughs> um, and then you, there's also one where it's a uh, a narrative declaration. This is one of the coolest ones in my opinion. It lets the player add a minor narrative element to the current scene or action. Ooh. And so, like the example they give is that this group are you know running. They have to uh, they get into that they get into a hangar and they have to alert the shuttle that they need to be picked up because the bad guys are right behind them. And it's like, well, how are we going to alert the shuttle? And then one of the characters goes, you know, I spent a wrath point to say that there's a, a, a Prometheum drum over in the corner that I can shoot and it'll explode and that'll signal the lander that we need to be picked up. And Jim's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so you shoot it, blow it up, and yay, we get picked up, we're safe. But yeah, you start with two, and then you can gain more through good role-playing, accomplishing objectives, and uh, some campaign cards give you wrath. Which yes. is another helpful bit of the campaign. Sounds cards. a lot like the um, what is that? Inspiration from Cthulhu D D. And then the other one is Glory. Okay. Uh, glory is a party resource, and it starts at zero. Uh, I mentioned before that you can shift exalted icons. One of the things you can do is you can shift them into the glory pool. Oh, okay. Um, so turn them into glory. Yeah. Okay. And so you can use glory. Uh, and these are just some examples, and you're kind of encouraged to come up with some alternative things that you can do. But uh, you can spend glory to increase a dice pool. You can spend it to increase damage. You can increase the severity of a critical hit. Or you can seize the initiative. Okay. And then how initiative works in this one it has kind of an odd setup. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of rolling for initiative, like in some games, and then getting a set board... What it is, is at the start of the encounter, uh, the players pick which of them is going to go first. Okay. And then the GM activates an adversary. And then the players activate one of the... Oh. And it just goes back and forth, kind of like in the in the tabletop game. Okay, yeah. That's, yeah, very much a, a combination of tabletop minis games and the initiative system from the Star Wars yeah. RPG, where That's... the party gets to choose... And I then like I like that as an initiative system too, where you don't have to go in a certain order. Whereas this is uh, just a straight we go, you go, we go, you go. Unless right. it's an ambush. Ah. Uh, in the case huh. of an ambushes, an ambush is one way that the GM can mess with uh, the initiative. And if I remember right, uh, ambushing lets the GM go first. Okay. Um, and then you can seize the initiative by spending a glory. And what that means is, you know, say you're the player on the GM, you activate, you know, Steve the Space Marine, and then it's like, okay, well, now I'm going to activate the Gene Stealers, and then Bob the Guardsman is like, no, 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 I'm going to shoot one with my melting gun first, and I'm going to spend a point of glory to go before you get to go, and I'm going to shoot that Gene Stealer with my melting gun because we're not having Gene Stealers go. That's nice. So that's one use for glory is you can use it to avoid the enemy going before you. Right. Uh, it sounds like there's a fairly large number of scarce resources that the players can use 
to throw things in their favor for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and then kind of like in um, Star Wars where you had like the light side points and the dark side points. Mm-hmm. Well, glory is the light side points. Right. The GM has a, a stat called Ruin. And he builds up ruin when adversaries throw um, exalted icons. Okay, so when they yeah, and then Mechanically he can also glory for the bad guys. Yeah, and then he can also gain it whenever uh, like like I think one of the effects of a complication is the GM gains a ruin. Ah. So mm-hmm. if you if you mess up your check, you give the GM points to use. Nice. There are also certain powerful enemies that are actually classified as adversaries which is the equivalent of the master tier in the fantasy flight games okay. and it's the it's the this is a guy that could wipe out the whole party right yeah the uh, star wars is uh i think those systems call that a nemesis yeah uh adversaries sometimes come with their own pool of ruin and it basically operates like a combination of glory and wrath for that character right that one bad dude is bringing lots of bad times to the players. <laughs> Certainly sounds like it is a really good RPG. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying seems, it out. Seems mechanically sound, not too complicated. And I like that, unlike the old Fantasy Flight games, it's starting off with everything, most conceivable options available to you. And so you don't have to try to figure out how to balance, you know, like a space marine with an inquisitorial acolyte. Yeah. It's already built into the game. Yeah. Or an Eldar, you know. Uh... But, but yeah, like you said, you can keep an Eldar in the party and have the Eldar be balanced with, you know, a human. Yeah. And one, you don't have to cook up your own rules for it until a couple years later when they happen to put out a book that gives yeah. rules for them. <laughs> um. I have to admit, one of the things that looks the most fun to play, if I ever got the chance to run a, to play in a tier three game of this, the orc knob looks like so much fun to play. Because one of the things that you know, one of the things that defines a knob is that he's in charge of the boys. And so you get a mob of boys. Oh God! <laughs> as minions. <laughs> so if if one of your players throws together an orc character there's not just the one weird orc hanging out with all these humans and space marines but a little mob of them because you can run an orc boy an orc commando or an orc knob okay uh the orc boy is the most useful in a mixed game because his special ability goes off regardless of what keywords the other uh characters have Oh, okay. Uh, the commando gives a buff to himself and anybody with the orc keyword that's within so many meters of him. And then the orc knob gives a bonus to himself and any orcs in the area. So if you're running an all orc party, you know, having a commando and a knob in the party and like creating your own archetype to make like a bad mech or a or a big mech or a bad doc, right. you know, something like that, you can really get some interesting stuff going like with an orc party. And it actually lists an um, what they call a framework for an orc-centric campaign, where yeah. it's it, it, they, they actually just call it "Here we go." Framework. <laughs> uh, so, so the orc boy is the best one if you're doing a mixed party because he gets his buff whether or not the other people in the group are orcs. Right. Whereas the orc knob, 
he really doesn't help anyone other than orcs, other than the fact that he's a giant close combat monster. Right. But he also brings, um, I think it's his rank times three boys with him. And there are between one and five ranks, depending on how long the campaign's been going. But he gets a handful of mooks right. that, that, that can help the party. Some goons to at least, you know, handle other goons, Yeah, <laughs> Lock up, you know, you run into a mob of enemies, you can use your mob of orc boys to... <laughs> or if you, you know, have a door that needs to stay shut. <laughs> put all the orcs on it. Put the boys on it. <laughs> but one of the things I thought was really cool is a lot of the... Uh, Orc weapons have a special rule called WA. Of course. Uh, what it does is it makes it more dangerous the more damage the orc takes. So it's like if, if you drop below 50% of your health, you add dice to your damage rolls. Nice. Just because this ridiculous orky weapon gets angrier as you do. Hey everybody, uh, this is Joseph. Uh, this episode ran quite a bit longer than intended, so I'm actually going to split it here and uh, put up the other half as a separate episode. Thanks for listening.